Revelations chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Prologue. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in them, because the time is near. Greetings and doxology. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all people on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. John's Vision of Christ I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, although dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you, musicians. And thank you, Katie 
and the readers. It's my task now to introduce this new series on the book of the Revelation. And Damien says, I'm going to get you excited by it. All right, no pressure then, Damien. Thank you. Um, yeah, my guess is that most of you here are wondering what you are going to hear, no pun intended. Am I right? Because you're not overly uh, familiar with this book or indeed overly comfortable with it. Well, it's not my job to make you comfortable. My job is to open the scriptures and it's a spirit's job to comfort those who need comforting and to discomfort those who don't. I brought one of my, one of the tools of my trade. Here it is. It's a commentary on the book of Revelation. It now costs, I looked up in uh, Amazon this afternoon, if I'm allowed to look up Amazon on a Sunday. <laughs> no. Well, well I, it, it's now 60 pounds, but I bought it in December 1999. That's how many years ago is that? 17, and it was a lot less. But I, I'm, I brought it because of what it says on the uh, flyleaf. At the back, there is a, a section which tells us all about G.K. Beale, the author of this book, where, what he's doing, where he's taught, and what he's written. And on the front and on the back, there are uh, quotations from other scholars and leading churchmen about this book. I'll just start uh, the, the first one they quote. It says this, This is an incredibly learned study, a magisterial uh, commentary. So here, they're all for selling the book. Okay? Now, why am I showing you that? Well, the book of Revelation begins in a similar way. You see, we have, and please now turn to chapter 1, and I'm going to take you to chapter 22 at the end. You see, it begins with a prologue, verses 1 to 3, and it ends with an epilogue, 22. It's not called an epilogue, in my text, but that's what it is, uh, 22, uh, the last, what, uh, four verses. And uh, here we have a book which its form would have been more familiar to the original hearers or readers, hearers probably, but its authority would have been questioned. Now, uh, the uh, Beale's friend uh, are telling us that this is an authoritative commentary, but uh, the, the revelation doesn't really get going to verse 4. 
when it begins to look like one of our normal epistles. It, it could have been John to the church at Rome, grace and peace. Here it is, John to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace. We're beginning to be familiar with that form, but before that, it seems that John has to lay out his stall. What is the authority of this work? And it starts with the word revelation, singular, never plural. Singular. It's not the revelations, it is the revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, blessed is the one who reads the word of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. This is the revelation which God, there's a, a, a five, five steps here. God gave to Jesus and Jesus gave to his angel, or could mean his messenger, because that's what angel means. And the angel gave it to John, who is now handing it on to the one who reads it and to those who hear the reading. So this isn't any old writing. This is a revelation from God himself to Jesus to the angel, to John, to us. It is the word of God, verse 2, and the witness of Jesus Christ. And those who read it, those who hear it, we will be blessed. And we have to take to heart what is written in it. For the time is near. So, uh, this isn't something we can, that we can say, well, it's bound to be a bit difficult. I'm not going to bother. I'll stick to the bits that are easier to understand. Uh-uh. This is for us from the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, this is an important part of the scriptures which we so often bypass. Help us to understand it better tonight and in the following Sundays should you give us them. May we hear your word, be blessed in receiving it and living it out, be it for encouragement or for correction. May it all be to your glory and keep me from getting in the way. Amen. Okay. Now, let's, you could look at the, the final verses to see something similar, but I don't have time to get into that. Let's look now to the greetings and the doxology. This is the form of a normal New Testament epistle. John, the author, well, but not the author. It goes back 
to the Father, as we have just seen, to the seven churches in Asia. Now, there are more than seven churches in Asia. Asia was <clears throat> that bit of Turkey, the west coast, uh, down to um, below Ephesus. <clears throat> what is, I think it's called Kuzadesi, is it called now? I was only there a couple of years ago, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, the bit near the Greek islands. And the Roman province went back from the coast a bit. It wasn't all of Turkey. It was just a part. That province. And if you look at, maybe Damien will have it next week because he's better than I am putting things up. Where are you, Damien? You hiding? There you are. That's, that's a hint. Uh, you, you, it, next week, you, you, there are maps which show how the, the letters, yeah, it's in the back of your Bible, the letters show a kind of, if you were a postman, you would deliver them in the order in which they're here, and it's a kind of circular uh, run from Ephesus right round to Laodicea. But that's for uh, next week. Uh, grace and peace uh, to you, uh, this is verse uh, 4. And uh, you're going to have to have 20 pounds, although it'll be 20 pounds well spent. Was it 20 pounds? For the Trinity course uh, up the road. Uh, here's my snippet on the Trinity, which is gratis. Because here we have the grace uh, from God, the triune God, three in one. Have a look. Verse 4. From him who is and was and is to come, the Father, and from the seven uh, spirits before his throne, that refers back to the Holy Spirit in his fullness. But all these allusions go back to the Old Testament. So there's the Father, and from the Spirit, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. He brings greetings from the triune, Trinitarian God. The Trinity isn't always very prominent in the Scriptures, but here it is clear. God, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And <clears throat> then he, he breaks into, when he mentions the name of Jesus, he, he breaks into a, 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 a doxology, a, a, a praise. He, he couldn't keep it down. And so he, he says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. John was a bit of a hallelujah man. He just couldn't keep it down. It was bubbling up. Presbyterians have to loosen the corsets. Let it bubble up and be moved by the, the glory, the wonder, and our response in praise to him who loved us, loosed us from our sins, and made us a kingdom and priests unto our God through the cross and his resurrection. Hallelujah.
Praise be to his name. The doxology. Then there's a reference to him coming on the clouds and then a, a, a statement from the Father who is the Alpha and Omega. I need to keep uh, hammering on here, otherwise I'll never get anything done. So forgive me for, for moving very quickly. There's so much uh, in this. And uh, then in, in verses 9 to 11, you get the, uh, the vision. <clears throat> John gives us more in, uh, in information about himself exiled in Patmos, which probably he was exiled. Patmos is a, a rocky island about 30 miles from the now Turkish coast, and it probably was a place where uh, what the state thought were ne'er-do-wells, eccentrics, and people who didn't toe the line were sent for uh, a long holiday, uh, we would say at Her Majesty's pleasure. He was exiled. Why? For his faith. So here he is on Patmos, exiled for his faith. But he considers himself, note his description, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance. The situation looked as if it was beginning to change for the Christian churches. This was, um, oh, maybe 30 years after Paul's journeyings through that area and his evangelism and uh, some of these churches he founded. And the, the church had uh, grown. It was into second and maybe third generation and as we shall see when we move into the specific letters to them, there was the issue of a church getting easygoing, getting self-satisfied, uh, dabbling in false doctrines, uh, receiving and welcoming people who really, with their manner of life, should have been kept at arm's length from the church. All these kinds of problems. <coughs> and there were problems in the church, and there were problems around the church. It was becoming harder for Christians to witness to their faith. Uh, there was intermittent perse persecution, or at least ostracism in different places. Things didn't look good. And John says, I am your partner, your brother, a fellow sufferer in all of this with you. And then he, from verse 12, uh, talks about the vision which he had received. <clears throat> now, my, my throat was doing very well. Now it's going wonky. This morning, <clears throat> Damien took us to John chapter 1. And that's all about Jesus, who is the Word. And the Word means the spoken Word. It can mean 
a principle, it can mean a concept, it can mean all these things. And that's the Greek way of looking at these things. And the picture of Jesus as the Word in John chapter 1 is essentially from the Greek intellectual way of looking at things. But here we have, what do you see? 12, he says, I turned round to see the voice that was speaking. Here we have the Hebrew way of looking at things, which is to look and see pictures. These are visions as against ideas and concepts and principles. Now, there's not a right way and a wrong way of looking at biblical truth. These are just two different ways of doing this which complements it together. It's like the difference between prose and poetry. I was thinking, uh, Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay died last year. And using prose, you could say about Muhammad Ali, that uh, <clears throat> in the, uh, when he was boxing, he was very agile, and he was a great puncher and counterpuncher. That I call prose, and that's accurate. But what do we all remember? What is it? Floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee. Oh, well, I didn't know that. That's the second verse. Now, which is true? Well, of course, they both say the same thing, but they say it in very different ways. And which way is the more memorable? Well, I think the butterfly and the bee, is it not? And in Revelation, we'll be given pictures and uh, poetry and poetic references particularly to the Old Testament, which if we try to get them all to fit logically all together, we're in trouble. But if we see them as poetry and try to discover what has been said through the picture, then it is clear and it is memorable. And what did he see? What was his vision of Christ? Well, he saw, verse 13, someone like a son of man. Someone like a son of man. Now, if I asked you, what in the Gospels is the difference between the son of man and the son of God, what would you tell me? I suspect some of you would say to me, well, we know our Lord was man and was God, and when it refers to him as the son of man, it's referring to his, his humanity. And when it refers to him as the son of God, it's referring to his divinity, his Godward side. That's nice and logical, but it is wrong. It's wrong. And why is it wrong? <clears throat> well, it's wrong because Jesus shows us that it's wrong. 
the Son of Man was our Lord's preferred uh, title. You remember uh, when they lowered the paralyzed man through the hole in the roof? You remember that? Lowered him down. And what did Jesus say when he saw him? The first thing he said was, not uh, get on your feet, roll up your mat and go home. He'd said that afterwards. But what was the first thing he said? He said, your sins are forgiven you. And everybody said, what? How can this man forgive sins? What is this? And then Jesus said, what is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I say unto you. So here he was identifying himself with the Son of Man And that was a more powerful figure than uh, just a normal, sinful human being. The Son of Man refers to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, and I think it's verse 13 and 14. This is an important verse, so I'll, I'll read it. You may want to look it up. Daniel 7, 13. In my vision I looked... And there before me was one like a son of man. Familiar? Direct quotation. Was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. So he's not a human figure. He's a divine heavenly figure. Coming like uh, from the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days. That's the father. And was led into his presence. He was given authority glory and sovereign power all people nation and men of every language worshipped him his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed now when John says I saw one like a son of man this verse would have come straight to the front of the mind of his Jewish readers and hearers. Of a heavenly and authoritative figure who would rule for God and whose rule would never come to an end. And that is one of the fundamental lessons throughout the whole book of Revelation. It may be that Caesar is all-powerful. He's even demanding worship. We must resist him. But listen, listen, listen. Our Lord isn't Caesar. It isn't Curious Caesar. It is Curious Christos. Christ is Lord, and he will sustain us whatever the opposition, whatever the persecution, whatever the suffering. Okay, he's one like a son of man with all power, dominion, and glory. But notice, and I skipped over these verses, when John turned round, what was the first thing he saw? Look at the text, verse 13. 
I turned, verse 12, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, later on, he tells us in this chapter, they are the seven churches he's writing to. Okay? He saw first the seven golden lampstands. If you go into a room and the lights are on, the first thing you see, especially in a murky room, is the lights. But how does it go on? And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. So his vision saw the transcendent, he was described as that earlier in our service, and so he is, the transcendent, risen, powerful Christ who has the keys of death in Hades, verse wherever that is, 18, uh, was dead and now is alive forever and ever. And all of that wonderful power and authority in heaven? Well, yes and no. He's coming, and we must prepare for that. And yet, and this is what our head is, finds difficult to get round, at the same time, he was in the midst of the churches. He was there and is there, but he's also here. He's also here. Yes, he had risen, he has ascended, but by the Spirit, he was in the midst of the churches. That is a great encouragement. When we're in trouble, and we think we're all on our own. That's the devil's work, trying to persuade us. Christ is with us if we are with him. Praise the Lord. So his identity was as the Son of Man. Uh, his locality was amongst the candlesticks and with the stars and his appearance. Now we come to uh, the picture from verses 13 to 16. Now, what you'll see as we get into this series is there are various elements here in this, his sash, uh, his robe down to his feet. That uh, probably refers to the robe of the high priest. And that would make sense. Because Jesus, who intercedes for us now, ever lives to make intercession for us. Our great high priest, we were thinking about his role in our series on Hebrews. He's, the vision has him dressed like the high priest. And there are scripture references from Exodus and Leviticus. Uh, if you want all these references, I can give you them afterwards, but just, I'm running over as it is. I need to move on. Uh, so he was dressed like a high priest, and then you get these references to his head and hair were white like wool, his eyes were a blazing fire, his feet like bronze glowing in a furnace, his voice was like the sound of rushing waters, What's the loudest noise you have ever heard? I thought about that myself. And I think 
the loudest noise, well, the second loudest noise I ever heard was Concorde flying overhead just after it had taken off and it was flying overhead and boy was it noisy. The loudest noise was at, uh, and here I'm not uh, name dropping, uh, or maybe I am, uh, was at Iguazu Falls on the Brazil-Argentine-Paraguayan uh, border where I think it's the one that has the most water going over it. Anyway, uh, enormous falls, a mile or something across, dear knows how many million litres of water goes over, and when you get close, you, you stop trying to talk to anyone because you simply cannot hear anything but the roar. And the loudest noise, a, uh, a Palestinian... Jew, someone living in the Middle East, would ever hear would be the noise of a flash flood, a sudden rain shower, and the water rushing down the, is it the wadis, and the noise that that makes, wow. And this is the, the volume of our Lord. It, here's a picture of his immense power. The details of this uh, are each of the letters except the Laodicean letter has a, one of these elements from this description, a different one in each of the letters. Doubtless we'll be looking at those then and I don't have time to uh, discuss them now. Let me just conclude. I think this passage has something for our comfort and our encouragement. The Almighty One, all-loving One, all-powerful One with the keys to death and Hades and all the other things we've just been glancing at is in the midst of the churches and he's holding the stars in his hands. Now, the stars are the angels of the churches, and it's difficult to be clear who the angels are. Are they the leaders of the, of the individual churches, or are they kind of guardian angels, or are they some kind of uh, spiritual equivalent of the churches? It's difficult to be sure. But... Whoever they are, they are in the Son of Man's, the Lord's hands. If that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what will. I had a health scare last year. Some of you know about this. And uh, people asked me how I felt. And my response was and is. I'm in higher hands. And that's wonderful that we can say that, isn't it? Great comfort and encouragement. And yet a challenge to us. And that challenge will become sharper as we get into these letters. When we find 
sins that we are very familiar with, the sins and weaknesses of second and third generation Christianity, of churches that are comfortable, of churches that think they're great, of churches that are smug. Does that describe our fellowship, or if you're a visitor, your fellowship? Yeah, there's a bit of smugness in Irish Presbyterianism. And we're not the only ones. We're not the only ones. So here's a challenge. And Katie brought the challenge. The challenge to personal faith to us. And that's a challenge which we need to face. He is coming soon. Are we ready? Are we encouraged? Or will his coming be one which causes us great fear and great trepidation? He loved us and loosed us from our sin. Praise be to his name. Accept the cleansing by faith. Let us pray. Lord, when John saw this vision, he fell at your feet as though dead. He was told, Do not be afraid. Lord, help us to respond with awe, with wonder, with worship, and with fear. And as we look to Jesus, as we look to Jesus in faith, may we hear, do not be afraid. You are in our midst, and you come into the hearts of those who open them to you. Glory be to your name. Amen. And another vision. John saw a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they cried out, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And who were these? They are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tears from their eyes.
O Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, grant us your peace and keep us faithful till that day when you come or call for your glory's sake.